This episode is brought to you by supporters at PayPal, Patreon, YouTube, and Unfound's gracious advertisers. On this episode, I again talk about the balloons, I discuss the disappearance of an author, I describe how I try to look at disappearances in Isaac Newton terms, and I cover a whole bunch of other stuff, including I'm taking singing classes. I'm at Denzel, and this is Unfound Live for February 13th, 2023. Hello, everyone. Right on time. Actually, a little early tonight. Wow, that is a that is a change. I used to be um, back in the day. I guess I uh, used to get in a few uh, minutes early, um, but I've kind of gotten away from that for whatever reason. It's been a little while since I came in uh, a minute or two early. Just felt like <clears throat> just kind of felt like the right thing to do tonight uh, for some reason, but now it's nine o'clock. I suppose everybody will be streaming in here <coughs> shortly, but maybe while I'm doing this, I'll be back in one second. Hold on. I can tell this is already going to bother me. Get off camera for a moment. All right. All right. Okay. Hope everybody is having a great day. Uh, of course, you Eagle fans or people who are just rooting for the Eagles, maybe not such a great day for you. But for the Chiefs fans out there and people who were rooting for them, I suppose uh, this Monday was better than most. And maybe I'll get into that uh, a little bit more um, in the casual section of tonight's live show for February 13th, uh, 2023. Of course, that means that uh, Valentine's Day is tomorrow. Maybe I'll talk about that uh, here in a little bit. But as you are watching, listening, wherever you may be, Please hit the like button, thumbs up, give it the thumbs up. You know, you want to, you just got to do it right now. Just do it right now. Thank you. And subscribe to this channel. It seems to me that uh, just about every show so far this year, we've had a couple new people getting into the chat just to see what this is all about. And I appreciate those people. So hit the subscribe button right down there in the bottom right-hand corner. And if you'd like to support, monetarily support what we do here, there are a variety of ways to do so. You can go to patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. Check out all of the different selections there. Patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. 
or you can become a member on this channel. Hit the join button down there and you get some stuff that other people don't get for the low, 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 low price of $3 a month. And uh, if you're looking like on your phone, you're just not going to see the button for whatever reason. Not my fault. But you'll have to go to a real computer to see the join button. And then also maybe during the live chat tonight, you'd like to hit the super chat which is right down, way down there in the corner under the chat box, little square with a dollar sign in there, and you can monetarily contribute to what we do um, right here. And there we go. Wow. As I'm saying it, Lisa comes in. Lisa, you are very generous. Thank you for uh, the Super Check contribution. For wearing red right now. Oh, you noticed that. Uh, Lisa, thank you. Um I have to admit that I did not wear this. I know, Lisa, you are a Chiefs fan. I, I see that uh, that little post there. Um, I, I have to admit that was not even on my mind. What was on my mind is that uh, this is one of the shirts that my sister Diane, Charlie's mother, uh, made for me for Christmas. And so I thought I would sport it. Maybe I wore it. Maybe I've worn it at least once or twice for the, twice for this live show so far. I really can't remember from week to week, but it really pops. The shirt really pops, so I thought I'd I'd try it out again or for the first time tonight. But I have to admit, it is kind of that um, Kansas City Chief red. Maybe I didn't even realize that to right now. But you're welcome, Lisa. Even though it was unintended. But thank you, everybody, seeing that kind of uh, light green box that now Lisa's name is there for what she wrote. That is the super chat. And if you want to monetarily contribute, we would appreciate it. Uh, who's in here? Well, nephew Charles, what's going on out there in Colorado, Charlie, how are you doing? Uh, uncle Michael's birthday today. I guess you knew that. Uh, I have a brother, Michael, who turned. I can say his age. I don't mind. I don't think he'd mind either. I have a brother who turned 72 today. 72 years old for Michael today. And I did see him when I was up there uh, for Christmas. We actually got together on Christmas uh, Eve that Saturday. I had a great Italian dinner. Uh, he and his wife picked it out. Had a great time. And, um, what I always say about brother Michael is, and I do say, I don't know why I do that. Like when I say my brother, Brian, it's brother, Brian, it's brother, Michael, it's sister, Diane. It's like, we're all, it, you know, especially when I say brother, Michael and brother, Brian, it sounds like they're monks or something. But if you think that, uh, me at 52, if you think that I have great hair, my brother, Michael at 72 has better hair than I do true story so i uh, got some strong he has some very very strong hair genes my hair genes are fairly strong brother brian's hair genes not so much but hello kathy good to see you uh kathy hope you're doing well and karen and mark in indy what's going on the real coming to us from australia the real you should know something my emily uh, my assistant emily just asked about a disappearance 
I think she's going to be talking to somebody in Australia about a disappearance because she asked me, you know, we, we want to do some disappearance from overseas. And I said, absolutely. As long as the person speaks English, we can do it. Cause I'm a stupid American. And I only speak English. I actually speak American. Uh, so we might be doing that the real, so I will keep you posted. Hello, Deborah, Lisa. Hello again, Charles, Laura, Sheree, thank you for uh, moderating tonight. Thank you so much. Taking some time on this Monday. Suzanne, Katie, Charles says, yep, I heard Michael's on. Is is he on his cruise right now? Okay. I knew he and Patty were going on a cruise. I just didn't know when. And I don't even know where, but I did know that they were going on a cruise somewhere. They love to go cruising. Um I think a few years ago, maybe before COVID hit, I'm guessing, maybe not. Uh, they did one of those river cruises over there in Europe somewhere. I like cruises. I just haven't been on one in a while. I don't, I don't mind being on a cruise. I don't feel too cooped up because the, the, the ships are so large, but you know, the tough thing about going on a cruise is the, you know, you want to go with somebody and of course I am single. So hello, Sean and the real, that's good. Okay. The real, uh, the real, did you get my email a while back with info on a few cases? I think I did the real, but you might want to email me again. If I didn't respond, usually when I get emails from people, I respond that if I responded to it, I saw it. If I didn't respond to it, the real, I might have missed it, to be honest. So if you could send those to me again, uh, I would appreciate it. Like I said, off the top of my head, uh, I'm not going to go look in my – maybe I can look. Let's see. I can do that. It's my show. I can do whatever I want. Let's see if um, – uh, yes, here we got it. Yes, I did. Uh, January 8th. I, I, I got it right here. Yes. Okay. I got it. 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 And I'm sorry, but I did not. I did not respond to your real. So I apologize for that. I got it. And so, all right, I got it. The real, and I'm going to forward this to Emily. Thank you for that. Thank you for asking me. It's always good to follow up with me on things like that. Thank you. Okay, so um, maybe that'll help us find even some more. Like I said, I'm not even uh, – Emily has not even told me who she's talking to yet. So it might even be one of those on this list. I will let you know if it is. I will surely let you know. So what's going on with me? Uh, disc golf, uh, actually been started p- practicing a little bit more. Uh, I went out even today for about 45 minutes. Last week I went out. Wednesday, no, not not Thursday. So I went out like Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, I think. And then I played on Sunday morning over Taylor, the brutal conditions. Just so windy, really crazy, crazy wind. Didn't play that bad considering the conditions. That doesn't mean I played well, but it was okay. And the guy I played with, his name is Chuck, really good guy. He and his fiance. And her son, we all played in a group together. And Chuck is certainly a better player 
than I am. They only beat me by a stroke. He had he had a tough time. I had a tough time. But the best score was only one under par, which at Taylor is, you know, given a huge group like that is not very good. And I shot four over, which is usually not very good, but still. So I'm working at it. Went out today for about 45 minutes because I got a big tournament this weekend. My very, very good friend Cameron is running it. I would like to play well. Uh, at least two of the courses, I'm very familiar with them, which will be uh, a change from, you know, the last couple that I've played, like at USF and over there in Lakeland. So maybe I have some chances to score well, maybe get in the groove. But really for 2023, it's just about me kind of working on my form, not caring about the score, not caring about where I finish not caring about my PDGA rating. So, uh, cause I did a lot of winning last year, but I still can improve. Um, moving on, uh, another personal thing. And then I'll move on to some unfound items some, and then international news. I even got a couple questions before the show started tonight. So I'm excited about that and I will surely answer them. Um, uh, my allergies have, uh, are continuing to kick my butt. It's one of those things where as long as I have my inhaler and my allergy medicine, I'm okay, pretty much. I've been sleeping fine, but this this month has been just about as bad as back, I'm going to say, in 2017 when I had that asthma attack and got first introduced to the doctor that I have now. Who's spectacular, by the way. And, um, you know, it can get a little, it can get a little scary, but I uh, got, I have two inhalers that I have. Uh, one that I keep here in my condo, another one that's in my car. So when I go out, so I don't forget them. So I have two of them. And man, it's just like, I think I've said this before. It's just like magic. I'll be coughing, 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 take that, fine. And so that's when I went off camera for those few seconds at the beginning of this live show, that's what I was doing. And, and it just smooths my, my voice out so much. There's no tickling in my throat, no constricting. So, but it's it's been a tough year for me for allergies, although it could have been much worse if I was not medically prepared. Um just got an overactive immune system, which is what allergies are. It just they identify things that you inhale as being dangerous or poisonous, and you start coughing and everything starts tightening up. That's actually your body's natural defenses against such things. When really none of the stuff that I'm inhaling is dangerous. But my that's how my body acts. So but uh, the good thing is probably in another week, 10 days, uh, this will mostly pass. Um, and then it'll probably be just pretty regular cruising as long as I avoid foods and things that I'm allergic to until this time next year. If you'll remember, didn't have this problem last year because I was in Pennsylvania the entire month of February last year. So totally, totally avoided it, just coincidentally. Speaking of which, my dad's doing fantastic. Uh, I spoke to him last Thursday and Friday. He's doing really good. 
on just cruising around. Uh, he drove over to Eastern Pennsylvania last week just for a little trip. And, uh, (laughs) he's driving around. He's 86 years old. He doesn't get lost. He's a good driver. I'm very fortunate. What can I tell you? All right. Let's, and he's very fortunate. I, I, you know, um, you have to remember that the average age that a man lives to in the United States is 72. That's it. 72 years old. That is it. My friends, the Carrier Story Brothers, their father died like it's 71 of a heart attack. Very sad. Sudden, sudden, sudden. And I've had other friends whose parents have died. You know, I was just thinking about this, that, you know, uh, my dad is uh, particularly old compared to my friend's uh, parents, but a lot of my friends have lost both their parents and they're, they they would have been nowhere near the age that my dad is. Now, my mother died at 78, which is pretty common. But on the other hand, my biological mother lived to be 88. So, um, and she was still very able-bodied. She had gotten cancer. She decided, you know, um, Charlie's grandmother, that... Uh, you know, she decided, you know, I'm not going to get any surgery done. I think so. She just, you know, let it do what it was going to do. Had she been maybe strong enough to get it worked on, who knows how long she might've gone. Who knows? But right up there to the end, she had her mind. She was pretty physically able until about that last 10 days. So, uh, Suzanne really miss her, really miss her a lot. Marketing, it's a long drive across PA and a costly one if you're on the toll road. Yeah, if you're on the yeah, Mark, if you're on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, it is expensive these days. That is true. That is certainly true. Right. So moving on, uh, let's get to some unfound items and then we'll go into some national news. Then I'll answer a question. I'm just gonna kind of mix it all up, kind of a buffet uh tonight. Let's go to the Emily Richards um, disappearance. That was, of course, this past Friday's disappearance with a cousin of hers, Amy. It's so crazy. Uh, And Amy Braswell, Amy Spanfelner. This Friday, we're going to have Amy Mann. And then if I'm not making this up, if you can believe it, I spoke to another Amy tonight who will surely be a guest on Unfound probably within the next six weeks. I, I I just cannot I can't even explain why how these things happen. I have no idea. And my perception is they're all like different ages. It's not like a generational thing. Well, they all got named Amy or something. They're all like, you know, like from 60s down to like 30s in, in age. I don't know. But the Emily Richards poll. Um simple question asked you what do you think happened to her? This was in the discussion group. And you should know we didn't do the think tank yet because we do it on Sunday evenings, but I did not want to take the think tank members away from the Super Bowl. Just didn't want to take that chance. Why bother? So we're doing the think tank tomorrow night. So I can't really tell you uh, what their thinking was. Maybe I'll tell you next Monday. Uh, Once again, if you want to be a part of the think tank, it's patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. It's a great way 
to support Unfound. Great way to take part in creating uh, solutions, uh, information, thoughts to bring back to the guests. That's what we do in the think tank. But in the discussion group, about 50% of you um, said that Bruce murdered her. So the three choices were um, that she's alive, that she died by natural means between uh, 1966 and now, or that she's dead because Bruce murdered her. 50% of you about uh, said that Bruce murdered her. The other two choices, the other 50% are, are pretty evenly between the two, that she's still alive and that she died of natural causes. Now, I think we have to, the thing you have to really consider this is on one hand, Bruce does seem like the t- kind of guy who might cause the disappearance of a wife. Why? Doesn't seem to be that great of a guy. In fact, we could maybe say that Emily didn't have the greatest taste in men. Uh, you know, he was, uh, it seems like toward the end, he was an alcoholic. He was uh, a womanizer. He was married, but was with Emily. Um, it seems like when he got married for the third time that his wife, uh, you know, his wife find out about something and, um, you know, disavowed the marriage, got an annulment, even though they chose to, I guess, still live together. It sounded like he was a gigolo. It sounded like, you know, I don't know if he had any money to his name, but it didn't, you know, it wasn't like he and his partner were buying a house together. No, he was just moving into her place and changing his name and everything else. So a lot of things add up to the idea that we can certainly see him doing something to aim Emily. Certainly possible. On the other hand, we have to remember that Emily would be 80 now. That if Bruce did not kill her, nobody else did, that she would be living still a very stressful life. She left her family. She's living with the guy who changed his name. I don't know what kind of prospects they had for money and buying anything and living anywhere. Maybe she, there was still the prospect that the FBI might track her down if she, you know, if they didn't track her down anyway. A lot of stress there. And we, and we know, as I wrote in the blog this week at patreon.com, that stress is a killer. She would have lived a very stress. It might have been fine when she left home at 22 and then 24 when she was 24 in 1966, but you get into your 30s. And of course... We know that she and Bruce did not live ha- happily ever after. They got divorced somehow, even though Amy's not found the paperwork for it yet. Something happened there. And, you know, we th- start thinking about cancer. So the odds, in my opinion, the odds of her being alive, the, not very good when you look at everything. But maybe, and I'm hopeful, maybe she's out there somewhere and doesn't even know that anybody's looking for her. We really don't know. But given the totality of everything, she was living a high-risk lifestyle, high-stress lifestyle, and that certainly figures into it. Then on top of the fact, she's with a guy like Bruce. 
Um, but maybe, maybe right now, every, anything is possible. Um, and maybe I'm just being a little negative. Uh, Shri says, what's the difference in a turnpike and toll road? No turnpikes here in Texas, plenty of toll roads. Uh, Mark says, I think the difference is just the name toll roads and turnpikes. Both take, take your money. What part of Texas are you in? I used to live in Houston. All right. A turnpike is the actual gate that was used to restrict access to the toll road. Originally, PA invented the toll road. There you go. Charles coming in with that. Yeah. Uh, Shri, I think what everybody they're saying here is it's just kind of a name, but the Pennsylvania turnpike was the first pay-as-you-go road in the United States. And to access it, you had to pay to get on it. And as Charlie's saying, the, the turn thing is the is the actual gate, and so you can't get onto it. You pay, of course, you can get on. Of course, back in the day before they had license plates re license plate readers and all of that. Um if you don't know Sheree, and maybe for everybody else, the Pennsylvania Turnpike has a very poor reputation. About as poor a reputation as any road in the United States. And you should know it goes the whole way from Ohio along the Southern part of uh, Pennsylvania, the whole way to New Jersey. But then there's kind of a couple offshoots that kind of go up to the North, but the main original one goes East to West, West to East and in Pennsylvania. And back in the day I'd been on it several times. I went to New Jersey several times, but it's notorious for being always under construction. It's notorious for being very windy. It's notorious, especially these days. It's very, very expensive. It's notorious because uh, there's been a lot of fraud and theft and everything uh, in, in regarding it. Just a, a huge, huge, huge uh, boondoggle of a thing. Um, anybody who's from Pennsylvania knows about the Pennsylvania Turnpike if they're an adult. Uh, Katie says, I don't know what to think about that disappearance. The whole thing is hinky. Oh, there's a word, hinky. It doesn't make sense that the FBI couldn't find her. Them using real names for their marriage also doesn't add up. I know, Katie. This is what we do in Unfound. Um, uh, as I've, although maybe I haven't stated it recently. This is why one of the reasons I don't get so caught up in the Marmory types of disappearances and Brian Lawson's and those ones that get all the attention, although we have covered Brian Schaefer's. There are a lot of what we might call unknown disappearances or, uh, or not so well-known disappearances that have situations, circumstances, facts that are just as unique and surprising as all of all of these ones that are known. This is one of those things that I continue to discover the more and more I do of Unfound. So I get what you're saying, Katie. Mark, I drove drove from Indy to Philly and back in the same day, a killer drive and PA didn't waste any time in sending me an invoice for sure. I'm south of Houston. I grew up. Okay, uh, she's yeah. So Sharice explaining where she is. Okay. Yeah, the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Um, you know, the tough thing is if you live in western Pennsylvania, at least down in the 
southwest portion, which is kind of where I grew up, really the only way if you want to get there in an efficient manner is to take take the turnpike. You can take the regular roads across there, but it's going to take you a lot more time. There's a lot of stoplights and all sorts of things. What I used to do is uh, going from Leechburg, I would actually take Route 30 the whole way out to like Bedford and then get on the turnpike there. Instead of going like, for example, down to Harmerville and getting on the turnpike there and then going that way. It was about the same as far as time goes, but you didn't have to pay it or be on Route 30. Way, way, that's going way back over 25 years ago. I mean, the last time I drove to New Jersey was end of August, 1997. It was when Prince, I was in Atlantic City when Princess Di died. That was the last time I ever drove to New Jersey. And uh, the girl slash young woman who went with me, um, that's how we went. We drove uh, out to, to Bedford and then then got on the turnpike to go to New Jersey. And my aunt and uncle lived in Lakehurst, New Jersey. All right, moving on to um, something else. As I stated in the uh, last Friday's episode, that I'm getting business cards. I think, I don't know if they're printed yet, but they will be headed my way soon. And really not sure how I'm going to use them, but this is a topic that came up between uh, maybe Sheree and I, maybe you and I spoke about this. Eric and I talked about this. And then the woman who is now running, going to be running uh, the new merchandise site had brought it up for me and she thought you should get them. And she worked out all the details and designed them and um, got together with Vistaprint and it all happened. Of course I paid for it. I'm, I'm ready to do that. So I'll have some, um, I guess I'll have to carry some. Maybe I'll send some to some of my assistants We'll see what goes on there, but do podcasters have business cards? I guess they do, and I'm, I, I, my phone number is not on there because I, that really wasn't the message that I really wanted to send with them, but the email address and the website and everything else was on these cards, but my phone number is not, so it's a little different than your average business card, but they are great looking. They're kind of in this color of red with black lettering. You know the, the you know the color scheme for Unfound now. Red, white, and black. Don't ask me how I came up with that. So when I get them, I will, of course, do a little show and tell for all of you uh, on the live show. And so we'll see what uh, comes of that. Sheree says, guess we do have turnpikes. We just don't back the call them that i guess uh charles going end to end in pennsylvania i'd prefer going 80 i i agree with you charles uh but you know where i grew up you know 80 is at least an hour north and usually when i was going to new jersey i was going to like southern new jersey anyway you know i never had to drive to new york city so i don't know which way would be fastest Going, if you're driving from Pittsburgh to New York City, which would be the fastest way to go? I really don't know. 
Everything says only the important podcasters do it. Okay. All right. Good one. Everything only the important podcasters have uh, business cards. Okay. Everything. Thank you. Everything 2023. Good for you. Thank you. So business cards. Uh, I don't know if six and a half years ago when I started Unfound that I'd even would thought that business cards would have been a a thing to do, but uh, obviously uh, somebody convinced me otherwise. All right, let's move on to some international news. And I'm going to start with uh, this author who is missing in Wyoming. This is a fairly new uh, news item that just got put on the agenda agenda for the live show uh, today. So I'm going to read this article. And of course, I have some comments about it. A romance novelist known for her steamy tomes, which is another word for books, and a failed attempt to trademark the word, word cocky has been missing for two weeks, just days after she was arrested for leading police on a 24-mile pursuit through a Wyoming national park, according to officials and reports. Felina Hopkins was last seen on January 30th in Teton County, Wyoming. The Wyoming Division of Criminal Investigation reported on its website. The blonde-haired, green-eyed author was arrested just three days earlier, so I guess on January 27th, after a run-in with federal officers that ended ended after she led them on a 24-mile chase. According to the report, agents with the National Park Service initially approached the 52-year-old on January 27th after spotting her vehicle stopped in the road in the area of Jackson Lake Junction in Grand Teton National Park. She allegedly drove off and took police on the high-speed pursuit that only ended after authorities unleashed spike strips along the roadway to puncture her tires. Court records show she was charged with fleeing or attempting to elude police officers, stopping or parking upon the roadway, operating a vehicle in excess of the posted speed limit, failing to comply with a traffic control device, and operating a vehicle without due care. She was representing herself in the case and was due to appear in court via Zoom on February 28th. Hopkins was reported missing from Jackson as described as being a 5'7 and 135 pounds. She has tattoos, including follow all instincts on her right wrist, a hummingbird on her right ankle, a lion's head on her left shoulder, and an infinity sign on her left wrist. Authorities are asking anyone with information related to her whereabouts to call the Wyoming Division of Criminal Investigation at 307-777-7181. Or the Jacksonville Police or Jacksonville, Jackson Police Department at 307-733-1430. Now that's just one uh, article on this. A couple articles got more into what she had tried to do as far as this trademarking of the word cocky, uh, etc. And my understanding is the reason she tried to trademark it is because that's kind of her deal with the books, uh, these, these books that she has written, these fiction novels that they, uh, that she has written has something to do with cockiness or something like that. And so she tried to, um, trademark that word, which of course is a regular word. You cannot trademark a regular word. I, I, I thought of, um, some years ago that, 
Um, Gene Simmons, uh, of course, from Kiss, he tried to trademark the 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 um, the initials for orange juice. So OJ, he tried to trademark that, and then he also tried to trademark the rock and roll symbol. You know, this symbol right here, like this. That Ronnie James Dio and a lot of heavy metal people have done over the years, like Ozzy Osbourne. This, um, and of course, people who look at this, they see six, six, six. They see the six here. This looks like a six, and then there's the six here, and then there's the six here. So it's like they call it like the six, six, six sign, six, six, six. I don't know, but uh, Gene Simmons tried to do tried to trademark this sign. And then he tried to trademark something else. So this is things that people do. Now, in my opinion, being that I'm a huge Kiss fan, I think he just did this for publicity reasons. You know, you know, the na- most dangerous place in the world is between Gene Simmons and a camera or a microphone. So given that I know that this author, uh, this author Felina Hopkins, tried to do this with the word cocky, this kind of sounds like the same thing. And so when then I start thinking about this chase that she got into, I then also start wondering, is this some sort of publicity stunt? She decides she's going to do something that's going to draw police to her. She's going to try to get away, but eventually she gets caught. And then on top of that, she goes missing all kind of maybe to raise her profile and uh, maybe people start getting interested in her books. And then she comes out of uh, hiding after a while and then People Magazine or somebody's going to do a, a story on her. You know, she's going to say, oh, I got so lost in the woods and I was so scared for my life. And we know that this has happened. In fact, I know that since I started this live show over five years ago, I think I've covered two different stories like that where you kind of got the idea that these people went missing on purpose and then came back on purpose just so they could get their names in the news because their stories just didn't quite check out. So... I have to admit, even though that I'm sure her family and friends, if they don't know where she is, if this, you know, if she's really off on her own somewhere, I'm sure they're very worried about her. And I'm not trying to be flippant or anything, but we really do have to look at the circumstances. We have to look, remember, disappearances are about people. They are not about circumstances. We have to look at the person not the circumstances to really understand disappearances. So when I know of an author, you know, it's not like she's Sue Grafton. I know Sue Grafton is dead, but you know what I mean. She's not JK Rowling. She's not one of these one, you know, these authors making billions and billions of dollars. <clears throat> At least I don't think so. I'd never heard of her before. She might start thinking, you know, I need to get my uh, career kicked in gear. So maybe if I can create a little pub for myself, get my name in the paper a little bit, do some outrageous thing, because this happens. We know that people do this all the time on Instagram, on TikTok. They're doing crazy things, jumping off of things, 
uh, parachuting off the off of buildings, deliberately getting in trouble so they can have a great video, viral video out of it. This is the 21st century. I hate every second of it. But this is what the 21st century is now. I hope it changes. But certainly all of these things feed into everything that is horrible about human nature. And this sounds like that. It could be wrong. Maybe she's going through some mental issue and she ran away from police. And of course she did get caught, but now she goes missing. Maybe she's looking back at what she did and having a lot of guilt and got her depressed. I, of course, hope that didn't happen. I, of course, hope this was a joke and I hope that she comes back alive tomorrow. But I have in my notes here, anybody who would try to trademark a word, like a dictionary word, you know, a word that's in lowercase letters, not like a name, not like unfound, sounds like a person to me who needs attention. Now, there would be, there are maybe probably, you know, some additional information. There is additional information that I could not find in any of, not of course in this story, or in any other story regarding this, that might help us understand uh, this disappearance better. Um, it's unclear to me why people think that she is missing. Was she living with somebody? And did she leave? And then that person got up the next day and said, hey, Felina's gone. I'm looking for her. We don't really know the circumstance. Remember, once again, circumstances... Disappearances are about people, not about circumstances. But in this particular case, being that all we have is a, a news report, we don't know much about her, just that she's done these few things in the past. But even I can say, like I said, this sounds to me like a person who loves the attention. And still, it would be helpful to analyze it even more if we knew more about why they think why people think that she is missing did she tell anybody that she was going to hurt herself or going back to the person did she have any history of mental illness did she have any history of depression did she have any history of addiction did she have any ever tried to commit suicide these things knowing about her past not to dredge it up or anything all of that would certainly help us analyze these the circumstances better Knowing the person helps us look at the circumstances. That's why I continue to say disappearances are about people, not about circumstances. You give me the general demographics of a person who is missing. Tell me about their money situation, their mental health situation, their addiction situation, the relationship situation. Uh, what they were doing with their lives in the days and weeks before the disappearance date. And pretty much, probably with about 95% accuracy, I'll be able to tell you probably what happened to that person. That's what I mean by that. And then there's that 5% that's kind of the outliers. It's just hard to say. We just don't know enough about Felina. Maybe if somebody read one of her books or something, maybe that would give us insight into all of this. You know, I can even say about myself, having written some novels, uh, of course, not recently, although I am working on a pilot treatment for a fiction missing person show, but that's a lot different, different 
type of writing. The back when I'd written some novels 10 years ago, maybe not quite that long, even maybe going back to the 2000s, even in the 1990s when I was doing a lot of writing like that. Certainly I can say that probably reading what I'm writing uh, would tell you a lot about me. Probably would. So maybe that would help us if somebody read one of her books, certainly learn more about her. Then we could also analyze uh, this disappearance uh, better. I, of course, hope that she is found alive uh, very, very soon. Once again, uh, I want to tell everybody, everybody to hit the like button. Please do that. The thumbs up. That's the thumbs up uh, right before below where you see uh, my head here in my red shirt. If you've not hit the thumbs up button, please do so. Thank you. The Real says, hey, did Agatha Christie do something like this? I know she went missing. She did. The Real Agatha Christie really just went on a vacation 10 to 11 days. The press blew it up or something. It wasn't. Saw a PBS special about this a year ago. I, re- re- uh, I read all her books. That does not surprise me, Kathy. I did not know that, Kathy. Um, I was always under the impression, Kathy, because I've read a lot about this the, these days where she went missing as well. But I didn't think it was that clear cut that she went on a vacation. I thought it might have been that she had some sort of uh, psychotic break or something like that because wasn't she involved with a, a guy and it wasn't going so well? Something along those lines. Um, yeah, Charles, uh, Charles says, yes, the movie The Truth of Murder is a fictional take on Agatha. <coughs> but I thought that there was um, – Due to a breakup. Yeah, there you go, Charles. Okay. So that is the disappearance of Felina Hopkins. Uh, Felina, wherever you are, please come back to to civilization so we can all know uh, that you're okay. I'm going to answer one of the questions that I got before uh, the show tonight. I'm just going to take them in order. And I see Jill. I see you, Jill. I saw your little sup. I hope you're doing well out there, Jill. I'm going to answer your question first, Jill. Jill asked, when working through a timeline, what is the most important thing? Well, maybe this is obvious, but you got to get, you got to get the timeline correct. And uh, in that, I know that's a very simple, simple answer. But, of course, trying to do that can be very, very difficult. Maybe way more than the public would understand. Now, of course, some disappearances fairly straightforward, putting the timeline together. But in others, especially ones in which the person isn't realized to, to be missing even for a week, 10 days, two weeks, Putting that timeline together then gets very, very difficult very quickly. As has been noted many times on disappearances, over 280 of them now on Unfound, that people's memories aren't as great as we think. Somebody says, oh, yeah, I saw the missing person on August, August 1st. It was a Saturday. But the disappearance date is accepted to be July 28th, and you start thinking, well, was she – did 
did this woman really get seen three days after her accepted missing disappearance date? And that goes like into a timeline, man, we really got to think about that. And then it turns out later, no, 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 it wasn't August 1st. It was actually the Saturday before it was actually August 25th or July 25th that she was seen. So four days, three days before her disappearance, not three days after her disappearance. These things make all the difference in the world. And it even gets tougher when you really start narrowing it down. And a person says, why, if the disappearance date was August 1st, well, I think I saw her on August 2nd. And then somebody says, no, 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 no. You saw her on July 31st. And we're already talking. We're talking about this like on August 10th, August 14th. Um, it gets very difficult to narrow all that stuff down, even with social media, even with phone records. It can be very, very difficult. In addition, what also makes everything so difficult is that these people who are talking, well, I saw her on Saturday. I saw her on August 1st. I saw her on July 31st. How do you know that these people can be trusted? You don't. You may think, well, it's, it would be obviously if they're a, uh, a suspect or not, but you forget that a lot of times you run into disappearances where people are lying about seeing missing people, and these people aren't suspects at all. They're just liars. <laughs> they're just not very honest, not very trustworthy. Uh, they just are making stuff up. Some of them do it just because they love the attention. Some of them do it because they actually think they're being ha helpful. Others do it just because they feel like they want to give the family hope, reason to believe that their missing loved one is still alive out there somewhere, and it's all wrong. It, all of it is wrong. So when you're working through a timeline, once you... If you're working on something independently, you amateur sleuths out there, and you get a disappearance that is of interest to you, something that, let's just pick a year, from 2010. We'll keep it in the cell phone era, the social media era, era to make it at least a little bit easier. And you go back and you start finding people who knew the missing person, and it's, it's not an obvious one. It's something that... Um, is a little tougher to determine. Once you get that all sorted out, uh, you know, the few days before to a few days after, you got to make sure it makes sense, makes sense. And once you have this kind of a, what we might call a skeleton timeline, then is the time to really start looking at it and saying, well, this person said this, can this person be believed? Because if, if, hey, as I know, you do enough digging, you do enough digging, especially on disappearances that are getting a little old at this point, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. If you do enough digging, you're eventually going to find people whose recollections differ. They go in totally opposite directions. 180 degrees this way, 180 degrees this way. How do you pick one? It's tough. It's tough, but still, you got to try to do your best to figure out what makes the most sense.
It's not easy. It, it's really not easy. And then you add in all the other things, all the other complexities that come into this, but you got to get it right. Timeline, got to get it right. And uh, just because this disappearance has kind of been on my mind recently, um, this is, I think, what uh, I've brought this up before. This is probably going to be like the 10th time I've brought this up on a live show. I think this is still one of the main things that complicates the investigation into what happened to Jennifer Kessie. I still believe they continue to use a timeline that is inaccurate. And so when I think that, and I think after 280 some disappearances, I have the experience to actually be able to look at that from a point of expertise and experience and looking at it and says, there's something that just doesn't quite make sense about all of this. Then it's clear to me kind of, why it could be their disappearance is still unsolved. You know, I, I feel horrible for the Kessies and everything, but in Unfound's world, you know, you know that I look at all disappearances the same. They're all important to me, every one of them, every, every one of them. But you do know, on the other hand, that I realize that some of them are a little harder to understand than others. Some of them are a little harder to come to a really secure, secure, secure theory compared to others. It's the difference between on one end, like Angela Green's disappearance with her husband telling all those different stories. And on the other end, Jason Jolkowski. And then you have all of the, the ones in before, you know, and you put them in your slot as to whether you think it's really, really perplexing and complex trying to figure out what happened or it's very, very obvious where, where are we going? And where I would, where would I put Jen, Jennifer Kessie's disappearance somewhere in the middle? It's certainly not one of the hardest to understand, but it's not of course, very clear cut either. It's somewhere I think in the middle, but I think you could get it more toward the easier to understand part. If the timeline was correct, I, I know what the Kessies keep saying. So, Jill, thank you for the question. Good one. Thank you. Uh, coffee. My neighbor walks his dog. How could I remember if I saw him last on Monday or Wednesday? Right. Yeah, and that, Coffee, you bring up a very good point that it's, it's even more difficult <laughs> – when you have people who do have established patterns, uh, that woman who goes jogging every day, that guy who rides his bike every day, the office worker who leaves her house at the same time every day. When you have those things that, you know, it's like Groundhog Day. It's fitting since it's February. It's like Groundhog Day for like five days of the week. Every day starts looking like every other day. It's true. Good point, Coffee. Thank you for bringing that up. Thank you. And Jill, thank you for the rock sign. Let's go back. Um, maybe go to something. So that's that question. Let's go to this. Uh, Super Bowl. Uh, we didn't have the think tank last night. Uh, I know that some of my uh, 
think tank members uh, were going to be watching. So we just nixed it. It'll be happening tomorrow night. I watched it. I really didn't care who won. Um, as a Pitts, as a Pennsylvania person from Western Pennsylvania, I make it not a point to, I make it a point to not root for any Philadelphia teams. Western PA people don't root for Eastern PA teams and vice versa. But on the other hand, when it comes to Kansas city, I don't know. Um, I'm not a big fan of Andy Reid. Um, if you don't know, he his family's had some issues. <laughs> He's had a couple sons. I don't. He may be a decent football coach, but as a father, not too great. And when it comes to Patrick Mahomes, he seems like a decent guy, but the rest of his family seem like a bunch of jerks, especially his brother. So. I really couldn't get into uh, rooting for either team. Uh, Like, for example, last year, by comparison, last year, I was really happy to see uh, that guy, um, Matthew Stafford, who toiled all those years in Detroit, getting his butt kicked and sacked and everything. I was so happy for him to win the Super Bowl with the LA Rams last year. So last year's... It was a little different than this year's. Uh, I watched it, went over to my brother's, had some great uh, kielbasa, and I had uh, I made I brought chicken wings. I made chicken wings and brought them and everything. We had a great time, but none of us were really rooting for either team. I don't, I don't think so. Um, maybe the Steelers will be in it next year. Maybe we'll see. All right, let's move on to some more unfound stuff. Um, Just want to remind all of you Patreon people, and I realize some of you in this chat tonight are not Patreon people. You should be, by the way, if only for $2 a month. Can you spare $2 a month? Can you do that? But for you Patreon people, I have a poll that's in there now, and I would like you to take part in it. It'll help me out as we move through 2023. I want to make sure you feel like you're getting your money's worth or any things that you think I could do, um, thing that I could add to Patreon or anything like that, or even to this YouTube channel or whatever, you let me know. And that's why I put that poll in there. And so please do not miss that. I realize a lot of you don't read the blog and everything. You're just supporting unfound because you like to support it. you like what we're doing here. I deeply, deeply appreciate that. But if you haven't been over to Patreon, but you're in a while, but you're a Patreon supporter, please go over there, take part in the poll. I would deeply appreciate it. Uh, the real says in one of the small isolated towns I lived in, I was the subject to so many rumors because of mistaken identity. And for years on end, Everyone was so sure they saw me doing outlandish things. (laughs) That's funny, the real. The real, it was usually another girl who bore some resemblance to me because she had the same color hair. She led a bit of a wild life at the time. Maybe uh, that's just your evil twin, the real. Or maybe you're kind of doing a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde on everybody, the real, maybe. (laughs) I'm joking around, of course. Uh, people have, uh, must have no idea who they're seeing out and about. Um, we're all in a, uh, it's like something I always need to remind myself. We're all in our own little worlds. 
we are all in our own little worlds. We're all the stars of our own lives. And how much do we really pay attention to the faces of other people? Not much. Not much. I think all of us could go to Disney World and we could just say there are a bunch of people walking around, famous people walking around there, pick whoever, athletes, musicians, actors, actresses, and that, you know, and just in this huge group over there and would walk through and probably wouldn't see any of them. They're just walking around the crowd amongst the crowd. We're walking in the crowd. We pass them. Probably wouldn't even notice them unless we were told beforehand to look for them. It's just how the human mind works. This is one of the reasons that flyers don't work for people. Why do flyers work for animals? Because it's rare seeing a dog walking out by itself on a road, running in front of traffic, not being on a leash, not being with a human, same way with cats and horses and cows and everything else. Whereas with people, we see people on this. I mean, that's why sidewalks exist for people. That's why roads exist for people. That's why you know, all these things, and so people use them. And so it's not unusual to see people outside walking on a street or anything because that's what people do. The reason that's why flyers work for cats and dogs, and, and, and even though cats and dogs, you know, dogs, you know, you have a lot of different breeds and everything, but certainly when it comes to humans, we have much more diverse looks than dogs do. And we have certainly a much more diverse look than cats do. But still, cats and dogs are found with found the flyers and people aren't. And it's because cats and dogs, to see them out in the street is unusual. And if you see one out on a street, it usually is lost. Whereas people, it's probably the exact opposite. They know exactly where, where, uh, where they are and they're not missing. Uh, Marcus thoughts on Kenny Pickett's development as a quarterback. I I think, uh, Kenny Pickett has a tremendous upside, Marcus. I'm a big Kenny Pickett fan. I'm a huge university of Pittsburgh fan. So that helps. I watched his time at Pitt. I was ecstatic. I was happy that the Steelers got him. I just don't know if he's going to be able to reach his max maximum potential with the offensive coordinator and Mike Tomlin. I just don't know. So um, we'll just have to see, Marcus. I think uh, he has the tools around him, the players. I think the offensive line, and it will get better next year. And uh, George Pickens, wide receivers. And uh, I, I think that tremendous eps upside. I don't know if the coaching staff is up to it. So, but I thought he did great. I think the last half of the year, he showed what he could be. Steelers had one of the best records in the NFL in the second half of the season. They, I mean, they only missed the playoffs by that much and they stunk. They stunk the first half of the se- of the season. So tremendous potential, but, uh, I would feel much better if he had some of the offensive coordinators that Ben had earlier in Ben Roethlisberger's career. That's me. Uh, Mary, totally worth the blog. Thank you, Mary, for saying that regarding patreon.com. Thank you. Mary says, love the blog. Mary, you're very kind. Rockford, love the blog. Really love the assignment we get got recently. I'd love to read some more responses. 
Thank you, Rodford, and thank you for taking part uh, in the, the assignment uh, that I gave all of you. Uh, you did a great job on it. Thank you. The real she had a baby at one point, and all over town people were congratulating me. Well, you should have asked them. Uh, you're right. I had a baby. Where was your bait? Where's my baby shower? <laughs> you know, collect all the stuff they're going to give you and then sell it on eBay or uh, the real. Uh, Katie, the blog is excellent. Besides the Friday episodes, this is my favorite part of Unfound Katie. Wow, that is a compliment. Thank you very much. Okay. So once again, patreon.com. And... Uh, Please take part in the poll that's over there. Moving on, uh, this is something that's probably going to blow all of your minds, but uh, I'm going to bring it up anyway. Uh, I think this Friday, uh, Dateline will be covering the Steve Panky trial. By the way, uh, this, the transcripts are now up. I finally got them. Took a while to get the second one, but they are now up. Uh, you can download them in the group. I also made them pictures on the Unfound page on Facebook. You can also go to the website, theunfoundpodcast.com, if you'd like to download the PDF files and read my testimony for trial number two. I did that, of course, for the first trial as well. But uh, I got the transcripts right around the time I got an email from Dateline. I got some production assistant who emailed me. And they were asking permission to use part of the interview that I did with Steve. And they offered me some money for it. Not a lot. Not a lot. Not crazy money. Three digits, but in the, let's just say low three digits. And... The problem I have is that I have a um, contract with this company that I've told you about a few times that are working on the Steve Pankey series in which I'm not allowed to do any business with any other companies that are doing any Steve Pankey, Janelle Matthews work. So I'm not able to take the money. That's the way I define the contract that I have with this UK company. Kind of sucks, but I signed it. What are you going to do? But what I told Dateline instead, and this was just last week, I said, how about instead, you know, I can't stop. And you know how I feel about the editing of interviews. I don't allow people to use them. But instead, I said, instead of me taking the money, how about you interview me and put me on this Dateline episode? You know, do a little Zoom interview with me. I'll talk about being part of the trial. I'll talk about my impressions of Steve Fanky. And then you can include it in this episode that you're going to be doing this coming Friday. And you get to keep your money. Can you believe they declined that? The person told me that... They had already done all of the interviews that they're going to do for this episode. And so I wrote him back and it says, no, you can't use You have, do not have permission to use, use the transcript. Uh, you do not ha have permission to use the recording of me interviewing Steve Pankey. That's the way that went. So when you watch that this next, this coming Friday, and you should, um, just remember that 
Um, they had an opportunity to interview me, if only just for 30 seconds for that episode, and they declined it. They would rather have paid me the money. But I can do that. I just had I had to decline that. Um, and so I said no. Now, if she, no, and I talked about this during the most recent update episode at the end of 2022. Once maybe a month, I continue to get some harassment on YouTube about how way back in the day there was that other channel that wanted to use the interview I did with Jessica Curtis regarding Tyler Stice's disappearance. And I declined, and I once in a while, once a month, I still get one comment regarding that, and it and it 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 still is uh, a little hilarious to me. But the answer is still no. The answer is still no. When Jessica Curtis or any other guest who is ever on Unfound including Steve Pankey. Now, I realize they're fair use rules. I can't go, do anything about that. And my guess is Dateline is still going to use a clip of it. They just don't have my permission. But the reason that I do not allow people to use the interviews I do with people is because that is not why the people got interviewed by me. That is not the agreement my guest and I have. And if I were to start handing over their interviews to other shows, other podcasts, wherever, where their words are surely going to get diced up, to me, that damages my reputation. Then they start wondering, well, what's Ed going to do with my, my interview next? Especially if people are paying me for it. I think that's horrible ethics. Horrible, horrible ethics. To interview somebody, you play the entire interview, but if somebody flashes a couple dollars at you, you say, oh, here, take it, take it, please, give me the money. Do whatever what you want. To me, that is not ethical. Now, I realize with Jessica Curtis, it's an unusual situation because she's, she's not here anymore. Very sad. Very sad. But here's what I think I know. If Jessica were here, she would not want me farming out her interview to somebody else. And who the heck knows what the people are going to do with that interview? Because once I give it away, I'm responsible for whatever that person does with it. I don't want that on my mind. It has nothing to do with me being um, just trying to keep everybody to uh, everything to myself. Or anything else has nothing to do with any of that. It has everything to do with maintaining the integrity of the work that we do here and the integrity of the trust that I have with my guests. The reason that they come on unfound is because they know all of their words are going to be heard. You do not know how much guests hate being interviewed for an hour and then only using 10 minutes. Well, if I were to give out these two-hour interviews that I do to other people, and you know the episode's not going to be two hours because Unfound is the only place that does that, <laughs> then I become no different than those other places that interview people for an hour and then only use 10 minutes. That's the way I look at it. Because that kind of journalism sucks.
And I realize Dateline can't play the entire three hours some interview uh, that I did with Steve. I realize they have their own standards and everything else. That doesn't mean I have to be a part of it. And as the real just wrote here, yes, they the guests would be reduced to a soundbite. We don't do sound bites at, at Unfound. It's one of the biggest things I hate about media of all types in the 21st century. It's all sound bites. It's all out of context. And then the host, the talking head, the hairdo uh, gets to, you know, interpret it for all of you. That's not what I do here. I ask questions. The people answer the questions. You get to hear it for yourself. You get to decide. So that's why. So for all these people who keep like once a month, these comments, the pop-up, I decline everybody. Dateline, 48 hours, 2020, whoever else, other podcasts, it doesn't matter. The answer is always no. The answer is always no. On top of the fact, I guess I should say it, you know, you kind of know my attitude toward most other true crime productions anyway. I kind of whispered that. I don't just – I just don't have – none of them. I just don't have a lot of respect for a lot of them. Not all of them, but a lot of them. So why would I want to be a part of it? So um, that's that. So Dateline contacted me. I would have rather been interviewed. I couldn't take their money. I once again, contractually could not take their money, but they didn't feel like interviewing me. So keep that in mind. Uh, should you watch that on Friday? Um, and then Twinkle gets in, you know, Twinkle, we started here at, uh, 9 PM Eastern. Where were you Twinkle? Where were you? Uh, Marcus, why wouldn't they interview you? You were there and you talked to him. Uh, Marcus, all they said was we're done with all interviews. Now keep in mind, this is, this is how TV works. The episodes coming out this Friday, they contacted me like last Tuesday. I did not talk about this last Monday. They, they emailed me like on Tuesday or Wednesday of last week. So it's like nine days before it's about to air. And they're finally emailing me and saying, well, you know, if you let us use this 11 seconds, we'll give you 300 bucks. And I'm like, no. That's what it was, $300. The answer is no. Now, I was willing to let them keep their money. I thought we could work something else out. We couldn't work anything else. So keep that in mind. Uh, then the truth gets lost. The certainly does get truth, does get lost in, co- in sound bites and out of context. Certainly true, Sheree. Rockford, 100% agree with your approach. It's also being faithful to the disappearance. If you lose the trust of the interviewees, you potentially lose the opportunity to help advance the case. Yeah. That's right. I do long interviews. That's the way it is. Unfound's length of an episode is probably 50%. The average length is 50% more probably than any other true crime podcast out there. Why? You know why. Hello, Siam Girl 31. What are you doing tonight? Good to see you. Thank you for the wave. Twinkle says, I'm embarrassed to say I was TikToking and lost track of time. Twinkle. 
Twinkle, get caught up in that TikToking. That's a call, Twinkle. Watch it. Marcus Unfound Twinkle is TikToking and she regrets nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, lost track of time. Okay, Twinkle. Um, what else do I want to talk about? I want to um tell you once again about this podcast class that I'm working on. In fact, I sent a sample of it that I just started working on just to try to get a feel for it for, uh, to Sheree because Sheree, I find to be a very honest, um, judge of things that I'm working on that I'm not ready to make public yet. Like for example, the unfound nows. Um, but just started doing some recording on it and it's going to be like voiceover with pictures and video. And then at the end of each section, you'll actually see me on see me on camera when I talk about some of my experiences for that particular part of podcasting. For example, there will eventually there's a part later in the in the class where I talk about reviews and ratings, like on iTunes and elsewhere. And then you'll see me on camera talking about how. Very early on in Unfound's existence, I got really caught up in the bad reviews that Unfound was getting and all these things. So that's how it's going to go. It's going to be a long class, but it's going to be the most comprehensive how-to podcast class that is out there. I'm making sure of that. I think once I get all the recording done, uh, putting together the rest of it, should go pretty quickly. Um, I just have to learn how to use teachable.com and that is on my list of things to do at some time soon. But right now I'm just worrying about getting, making sure I get the recording right and my vision of what I might want to happen, uh, that I fulfill the vision what's, you know, what's up here. So moving on, um, let's answer, allow me to answer the other question that I got uh, before the show got started tonight. Let's just make sure I haven't missed any other questions. Hold on just one moment. I don't think I have. All right, whatever that is. All right, Christina asked me, this was in the discussion group. Whoops. There have been a few cases with surprising resolutions. What can we learn from these outliers? Did you read, do you need to adjust your formula for categorizing disappearances? Um, Christina, I'm always ready to reassess how I look at disappearances. Always. However, to do that, I'm not just going to do that on a whim. So I don't think that we've had enough outlier disappearances on Unfound to uh, consider doing that anytime soon. But you also have to realize the way that I look at disappearances. See, one of the most confusing things to me about the way I think the general public looks at disappearances. Like, for example, if I go to um, websleuths.com and I start looking at people's opinions on what happened, what's always odd to me is why people, so many people, 
default to a theory that statistically is somewhat improbable. Not impossible, but improbable. This is this is always good. This is always going to be something that sticks out to me because the was no offense to all of you listeners, but maybe you're listeners and maybe I'll miss a couple episodes here and there. Shame on you, but maybe this stuff isn't as ingrained in you as it is in me. And it's, I mean, it, and it should be more ingrained in me because this is my work. You do other, you listen to Unfound, thank you. But you have your own work you do. Uh, you know, insurance, you're an expert in insurance. You're an ex- expert in accounting. You're an expert in engineering, teaching science, whatever else. Uh, And so in those particular topics, that's the way it is for you. You can't deny what's in front of your face. Well, when it comes for disappearances, I can't deny what's in front of mine. And that is, is that most of the time when disappearances are solved, the, the, the solutions are very straightforward. That does not mean all of them are. And you know, for example, Esther Westenbarger. At the time when we covered it on Unfound, it seemed really strange. Whereas if we if Esther Westenbarger was still missing and we covered her disappearance and had her daughter on uh now in 2023, we wouldn't be as surprised. We probably one of our the main theory would be, yep, she drove off somewhere. And went into a body of water. I don't know necessarily if we would have picked that retention pond where she ended up. Maybe. But I think, in retrospect, in a different timeline, uh, alternate universe, that we now know when people go missing with their cars, that we should suspect that they did the car and the missing person are going to be found together way more than at least I realized back when we covered Esther Westenbarger's disappearance. When was that? 2017, 2018. So that's the same reason. Now, when we looked at other disappearances since then, like Audrey Heron, like Harry Milligan, that what do we automatically default to? It's probably people, these people are probably missing with their cars. The odds of it being foul play, not very high, not impossible. But certainly much more than maybe we realized when Unfound got started in September of 2016. So when it comes to that formula, Christine, this is an example how the formula can change. But for me, the way I go about it is I look at disappearance and I try to think, are there any other unfound disappearances that are like that? I look at the person. Most importantly, this person was living what kind of life, what was he or she doing, all of these things. And what is the most likely reason that a person like that goes missing? And then what I do is I start looking at the circumstances, the facts of the circumstance and the investigation afterwards and try to decide, are there any facts that pull me away from probably what mostly likely a person like this would go missing? 
And being that I just talked about it, like Jennifer Kessie. That's a, you know, I think it's a good example. Professional, educated, no addictions, no mental health issues. So, and I realize we now have the video, of course, that would help. But automatically we would be thinking, probably got attacked. We don't even know need to know that her car got taken or anything else. But when you hear that a woman living that kind of life goes missing and her car is found a couple days later, and maybe there's no video that somebody parking it there, you think she probably got abducted. Now, the difference between myself and the Kessies is they think she got abducted that next morning. I think that something happened to her the night before. And I have reasons to think that. So I try to look at look at the person. What is the reason people like that most likely go missing? And then I look at the circumstances or anything that pulls me away from that. To a least probable, uh, a less probable scenario. The problem I have is it seems everybody else, a lot of other people do it the exact opposite. They automatically default to a less probable scenario. And then they're all surprised when it's solved and it's just very straightforward. Maybe it's a good, good example of recently is Brian Lawson. How many people were convinced that they heard somebody else on that call that he made, that the police were involved, that somebody came along and abducted him? I mean, it seems well over 50% of the people <clears throat> who knew about that disappearance defaulted to some sort of foul play scenario, even though could look at it before it got, before his remains were found. And with a few years of experience of unfound, I'm thinking the odds of that happening are very, very low. Him getting abducted just after a guy, after his car or his truck runs out of gas, getting abducted and going missing is very, very rare. It is a very rare type of scenario. Why do so many people default to it? It makes no sense to me. So maybe they just don't realize how rare it is. Well, that's what I'm trying to change with Unfound. I'm trying to teach people that those types of things happen, but they are rare. We need to look at what is the more probable scenarios and try to rule them out first and then go to the less probable ones. And what happened with Brian Lawson? He was found not too far away on somebody's property. Somebody who didn't allow his, the property to be searched when Brian went missing or Brandon Lawson, Brandon Lawson, um, when he went missing, which is once again, something that we've talked about before. Everybody was so dang convinced he got abducted and everything. And I never bought that for a second. So I think there's another thing, Christina, regarding all of this, and it has to do with like, I know I'm going to get real scientific on this, is like Isaac Newton versus Albert Einstein. Um, we're never going to have a formula or a set of scenarios that are going to satisfy every disappearance that is ever going to happen. 
However, but this is very much like Isaac Newton, Isaac Newton, the laws of nature, um, the, the physics that we understand in our everyday lives. So of course, apples falling from trees and things like that, that works 99.999% of the time, but there's a problem. Einstein, uh, Isaac Newton's principles, laws of physics do not work at the very small and the very large level. So at the atomic level, they don't work. And at the space size, they don't work. But they work everywhere else. They work here on Earth. The way we understand gravity with the way we use it to design airplanes and bridges and everything else. But his formulas break down at the very small and the very large. So when it comes to me thinking about how to put together, how to teach people about disappearances, I'm trying to be more like Isaac Newton than Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein's theories, uh, laws, work at the very small and the very large. The problem is for those formulas to apply to everyday life, they are very complex. They're accurate, but they're very complex. But we need them at the very small and the very large. Gravitational forces atomic forces, things like that. So I'm trying to be Isaac Newton in which I'm trying to cover as much as I can with my ideas. I know I'm never going to cover all of them, but I don't want to be so esoteric that it's so complex. Like try to cover everything and nobody understands it. Which is most people don't understand Einstein, you know, Einstein's physics, except for equals MC squared. That's the best analogy that I can give you. I'm trying to be Isaac Newton here, not Albert Einstein, when it comes to theories and formulas, the ways to think about disappearances. All right, let's move on. I got to talk about uh, the balloon stuff again. And uh, Boston, thank you for becoming a member of this channel. I think that you've done that before. Thank you. What's going on, Boston? How you been? Fair, you do not have to apologize, Katie, because you do have an expertise in disappearance. You ever reached out to the Kessie family? Well, um, I haven't, Katie, but I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not. Um, I know there. I know where they are. I know exactly where they are, Katie. Uh, I'm not looking to. Um, I'm not looking to, I'm not looking for trouble. <laughs> I've been public about what I said. Uh, surely some people who know them have listened to this live show or whatever else. And if they thought anything was compelling that I was saying, they could have contacted me. I'm open to talk to anybody at any time, but it's just, I think it would be rude for me to reach out to the Cassies. And then the first thing I say to them is, you know, you, I think you got this scenario all wrong. I think they've been told this by other people and rejected it. However, I will say that I've thought about contacting maybe some people around them. Let's just put it that way. But it would be weird for me to contact them. And then in the first conversation say, you know, here's my experience with disappearances. And when it comes to cell phones, when a person shuts off his or her cell phone, that is when the disappearance begins. And it's hard for me to believe that Jennifer Cassie, being educated um, in the field that she was in, that she got up that next morning, took a shower, took a bath, 
did her hair, did her makeup, picked out her clothes, got all of her stuff for work together, got dressed, ate her breakfast, all of these things, and was walking out to her car and never turned her cell phone on the next morning. That really challenges my imagination, what I think I've learned about cell phones over the last six and a half years. I realize she went missing in 2006. Is that the year? And not today when cell phones are different. I get that. But still, she did all that stuff that morning, never turned her cell phone back on. Seems kind of weird to me. So, but I don't know if they want to hear that. And it would, you know, I'm not here to complicate their life and create drama and everything, but that's what I would tell them. But maybe someone else around them uh, might take that news a little better. So I'm, I've been thinking about it. Uh, but I should say, um, uh, I really don't have a lot of confidence in this private investigator that they've had. The guy has no missing persons experience at all. Zero. Uh, I think he only got it be, is because he has other experience in other areas and his resume, at least working for the government, is fairly impressive. Has no, no disappearance experience at all. Zero. Can't believe that uh, case is still cold. Emily, can you explain the wet towel they found in her apartment? I can explain it as being a Floridian, Emily, and having long hair. I, I can't explain it. Here's what I, I know. As like I did uh, wash my hair, I took a shower uh, at about 6.30 this evening, and I dried my hair off. Now, you should know that I don't dry my hair off as much as other people uh, because I like to mostly just let it air dry because I'm never in a hurry because I work at home. I'm never in a hurry to go anywhere. But the amount of water that this hair holds is quite a bit. And she had long hair too. And probably in being I'm a 52-year-old guy and she was in her 20s, her hair is certainly thicker than mine is. It's going to hold even more water. And when you, when you dry that off with a towel, in Florida weather, as humid as it is, that towel will stay wet a lot longer than it would, for example, in Las Vegas where the humidity is only 15%. Why? Because here in Florida, we're usually working with humidity that's 95%. The air has as, is holding as about as much water vapor as it can without it starting to rain. That's why, on the other hand, when you go to Las Vegas, if you were to jump in, in uh, July weather in Las Vegas, if you were to jump into a pool, get out of it, you would be dry in five minutes without touching a towel or anything else. Why? Because it's 15% of humidity, and so that air, it can just sop up all the water that it wants. That's science. That's why. In addition, I, I guess if we wanted to even uh, be more uh, picky with this, okay, that towel is wet. There's no proof that Jennifer made that towel wet. There's no proof of that. So that's what I would say. Robert, with loss and so many were hanging on every word of his phone call and bringing it down in such detail when it sounded to me like a voicemail, one of my buddies would leave me when he's plastered. I agree with you, Rockford. Sure, uh, Sheree, working for the government isn't that impressive. I go there every day and not impressed. Thank you, Sheree. 
Sheree Rockford, that's a good analogy, especially since it was confirmed he was high. Emily, I agree the towel will stay wet for a while. I got long hair and agree with that. I just was just curious as to how long you think she had been gone from our apartment. I think she left the night before. She shut off her phone, never turned her phone back on. I think she took off the night before. This is, I think, you know, you know where I'm going with this uh, for everybody. You know, and it's not in a very good direction. I can understand why the Kessies wouldn't want to buy into this, especially since Jennifer had a fiancé. I'll just leave it at that. Fairy, maybe changing subjects, but I'm wondering why the woman in England was wearing a Fitbit, but no one is mentioning anything about that. Uh, I'm not sure what you're talking about, Fairy. Uh, You mean the woman uh, who went missing with her dog? I don't know, Fairy. Kathy Rockford, Brandon was on a meth high. Rockford. With Cassie, what gets me is they are laser-focused on the apartment workers. I guess that it's a strong possibility that one or more of them did it. If there are other potential culprits, um, yeah, the, the Rockford, it sounds a bit race, racial to me. Um, Boston, Ed, have you thought about covering Michelle Parker, the mom who went missing after the episode of Divorce Court that, that she was on? The name sounds familiar, Boston, but I do not believe that we've reached out to anybody in her family. I already know your theory. We have talked about this, and your theory sure sounds something I can believe. Well, I try to make it that way, Emily. Thanks. And we have talked about it before. All right. I got a couple more things that I want to discuss before we are done tonight. I got to talk more about these shootdowns. U.S. military shot down a fourth unidentified object Sunday and expects to recover it. Officials said there are no indications of collateral damage and that the object went down in the lake. Over Lake Huron, an F-16 fired an MX-9X to successfully shoot down an airborne object flying at approximately 20,000 feet altitude in U.S. space over Lake Huron in the state of Michigan. Its path and altitude raised concerns, including that it could be a hazard to civil aviation. Representative Jack Bergman uh, from Michigan said that he had been in contact with the Department of Defense regarding the operation in the Great Lakes region He said the U.S. decommissioned another object. You American people deserve far more answers than we have, he wrote in the tweet. American fighter jets have shot down four high-altitude objects in the airspace above the U.S. and Canada in the last week, and members of Congress complained they have not been briefed about the latest incidents. On February 4th, U.S. military shot down a suspected Chinese spy balloon. And then Friday, uh, the White House announced the second object had been shot down on Friday that was flying over Alaska at about 40,000 feet. The following day, Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, said that he worked with President Joe Biden to order a U.S. fighter fighter jet to shoot down an unidentified object that was flying over the Yukon. I don't know why the Canadians aren't doing this themselves. Representative Matt Rosendell from Montana said he was advised on that Sunday that a fourth high-altitude object existed near Montana. I'm waiting now to receive visual confirmation. Our nation's security is my priority. Okay. So we got all this going down. Um, What is going on? And Boston is even saying, um, these balloons make me very anxious. Um, I would... um, Boston, I'm going to be honest with you. I would not be anxious about these things. I would not. Um, There is certainly a heightened awareness. Certainly. But 
this is one of those things where you have to start thinking they really do something like this if it was really that um, provocative. Certainly, balloon flying over the United States. Of course, now we're maybe finding out this isn't the first time, and maybe they'd been done it, um, you know, five years ago. They had done it before and maybe got away with it or something. But I, I can tell you, I'm not really anxious about any of this. I think it's just a heightened awareness. I think that, I think with all the UFO stuff that has been in the news over the past few years, this could be a result of that. It very well could be that in the analysis of all of this stuff that is allegedly unknown, they're finding out that, you know what? There really are things flying around. Yes, they're man-made. They're flying around, and we don't know what they are, and maybe we should do about something about it. I know what personally first comes to mind. Now, certainly this thing that flew over the United States that got shot down off, you know, off the coast of the United States, that was certainly thing for, something from China. I'm not convinced a lot of these other things are actually from there. In fact, I'm not even sure that thing was, you know, necessarily from China. But, you know, once again, I don't want to get into politics on this. But I will tell you that one of the things I think, I actually think that these are drug um, operations. That's what I think. When I start hearing about a balloon that was carrying cargo and it's 20,000 feet over Lake Huron, I start thinking about drugs. I don't start thinking about spying or anything else. You have to remember the lengths to which drug smugglers go. That, I mean, there have been stories like of decommissioned submarines, like from Argentina the drug cartels have bought submarines, military submarines, bought military submarines to uh, traffic drugs across the Atlantic or into the Caribbean or to the edge of the United States. Then powerboats go up there and they service and take them. And keep in mind, it just maybe it's just me, but I've been seeing more and more of these stories about um huge drug loads being found out in the middle of the ocean, like abandoned or something like that. This is the first thing that comes to mind to me because the advantage that balloons have is that unlike, for example, you think back to the, um, you know, it was that movie with Tom Cruise. It was a, it was like a biography of this guy who used to fly for, you know, the, the cartel drug, drug cartels and Tom Cruise played that guy. And then we think back to a movie like Johnny Depp with Blow and, and all of that. Thing is, planes are getting more and easier and easier to track. And in fact, we even have something like Flight Radar 24 that anybody can access and everything. Whereas balloons don't show up as easy on radar. As we found out, given this thing, you know, this Chinese balloon that flew over the United States at 60,000 feet. And weather patterns are fairly predictable. Balloons, balloons are cheap to make. 
Hydrogen or helium is easy to get. You can even put a, like a remote timer on it that when it gets over the exact location, you can like hit a button and maybe it explodes the balloon and the thing drops straight, drops straight down to where the smugglers are. And the good thing about it, the balloon's unmanned. So even if the military or the police get it, there's nobody to, nobody to throw in jail. This is what comes to mind for a lot of these things that we're hearing about, like I said, over Lake Huron and elsewhere. Maybe it's a novel idea. Maybe nobody's thought of that before. But that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Unfortunately, we know that we have a huge drug problem in the United States. It goes up every year, so there's a lot of motivation. Of course, we make a lot of drugs right here in the United States as it is. But a lot of people want to get in on this market. Americans have a lot of money, a lot of money to spend on drugs. And so there is every reason to come up with the most ingenious ways of trying to get drugs into the United States. And so balloons seem to me like a decent choice. Not that I'm for any of this, but balloons seem like a good choice. You also have to remember this. There is a precedent for this, and it goes back. Being that I have this weird fascination with East Germany, like you, like any documentary about the Berlin Wall or what it was like to live behind the wall in East Germany is like fascinating to me for some reason. That's why one of my favorite movies is uh, The Lives of Others fantastic, fantastic German movie. But a lot of people escaped East Germany by making their own balloons and ballooning out of East Germany and landing in West Germany. Making homemade balloons with getting hydrogen or helium or firing something up. And they just get out of there. Spend time sewing something like that together. I mean, that's how horrible it was to live in that country. So these are some of the things that I think of. And then you mix in an occasional spy balloon or something like that. Um, I, ju I just am not – I know my buddy, my a friend of mine, Dave – who I stayed with when I went to disc golf in Illinois last year. He's really the only guy or only person who I talk about politics behind the scenes at all. And of course this has been a, uh, a topic of conversation uh, between us. And, you know, he's saying, you know, some people I know are really anxious about this. And I'm like, ah. I just, I just don't think it's that big of a deal. I, I just don't. Uh, you're welcome, Boston. Um, Shree says, today's news, unidentified objects. BS. Shree, if they shot it down, they know what it is. Hunting 101. Twinkle says, you have me convinced. Of course, I'm not a person who believes in UFOs. Now, you should know our good friend David Polides is uh, – he had a tweet out today that I just happened to see by accident. He's pointing out, you know, where these balloons are being seen – where they're being shot down, a lot of people go missing in those areas. <laughs> now you know why I, although he doesn't come up much, 
you know why I just make fun of everything that he's ever said and ever written and everything else. But he's certainly a good sensationalist. He certainly knows how to get people's attention with outrageous statements. But do not go to him for any facts or anything like that. Any rational discussion. Please do not. So um, you also have to understand something else. That um, private drones... As we have them, I mean, we have, uh, if you watch the Super Bowl, if you ever watch any sporting events or car racing, you see how much drones are used these days. Drones only want to make, want make, you know, only make people want to fly even more and to experiment more with, you know, and I, I think back to like when, um, we were going to the moon, the Apollo program from the 1960s into the 1970s. What suddenly became a popular hobby in the United States? Amateur rocketry. People, and I can remember going to, I don't know, I must have been six, seven years old. In my, my elementary school, they actually had a day where all the kids brought rockets that they had designed it and were shooting them off into the air. This must've been around 1976 or 77, something like that for the whole school district or something like that. And they'd shoot them up. And of course the parachute would open and it'd come drifting back to the ground. This is the way humans are. So we shouldn't be surprised in a new age of drones and, um, you know, we're supposedly on the edge of flying cars and all these things that people are sending stuff up into the air. We shouldn't be surprised by that. But I think part of this could be a fallout from all this, these investigations that been all these unidentified objects. And I think what they're finding out is, and you know, they can't just be honest with the American people because that makes them look bad. Is there maybe a lot of things flying between United States, Mexico, United States, and Canada. And they just don't want to talk about it because it makes them look bad. It's all perfectly understandable. But they save themselves the embarrassment by not saying what it really is. You know, everybody's just looking out for themselves. Just keep that in mind. Sheree says, uh, I remember shooting rockets in the air too. Yeah, well, Sheree and I are around the same age. Yes, it just, it's one of those things. Uh, Fairy Magic, we were at a wedding rehearsal in the Catholic Church and we just watched as one person walked in, went to a pew, picked up a brown paper bag. So I think your theory is right. I don't even know where that statement was going, Fairy. Went to a pew, picked up a brown paper bag. Oh, so uh, they were doing drug dealing in a church. Is that what you're saying, Ferry? I have a funny story from my movie-making days that we were shooting a scene uh, in a um, strip mall, like in the back where all the garbage cans and everything, and, and we had the set set up, the lights and everything. Right in the middle of the scene, a couple guys pull up. They walk right as we're shooting, right up to this garbage thing, reach in it, grab something, and walk out. That happened. I was like, uh, I don't know. This must have been like 20 years ago. Something like that happened. 
Um, I'm pretty sure if I had to design a rocket at school, they would have been been some Diet Coke and Mentos involved. That's funny. Rocket, rocket. The only thing better than hearing from Polites would be if we got word that one of the balloons has a smiley face on it. Oh my, Rockford. Oh my. About drugs in the balloons. Yes. Mark, I remember a TV show called Lost in Space. Yep. It was the edge of your seat entertainment for an elementary school kids back in the day. I remember. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. But I'm just trying to tell all of you. Uh, they say, you know, the old saying goes, may you live in interesting times. We are living in interesting times. I really don't know how dangerous they are. I'm being totally, totally honest. You, you know, you have to think about this. Um, you know, if we were in the 1940s, it would be World War II. If we were in the 1950s, it would be the Korean War. 1960s, like I was born right in the middle of the Vietnam War, 1970. The world is such a more peaceful place since those times. We have to remember that. Danger can happen at any time. Never know, somebody could lose their minds or something like that. You never know what North Korea is going to do and everything. But we have to remember that the people from the 1930s and 40s and 50s and 60s into the 70s could have never imagined in 2023 that we would live in a time where there's only one war going on and it's in a very, 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 you know, very small part of the world. They could have never imagined that. And the rest of the world, although there's violence and there's murders, and slavery still in some places and everything else, compared to the 40s, 50s, 60s, and into the 70s, this is about as peaceful as the world has ever been. You have to remember that. Sheree says, yes, Mark, you just pulled that out of the recesses of my brain. It was all Dr. Smith's fault. It certainly was. Uh, one more thing before I get to this Friday's... The Murdoch trial has uh, been going on. I've not really been following it. Uh, maybe, Sheree, maybe you have been following it. Maybe uh, maybe some of it, uh, I've not been able to. But um, it should be a good example. Of, you know, uh, it's, all, it's all very sad. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that this Murdoch guy killed, you know, these people and everything. But I think what this should teach all of us is that in the world, not everything is as it seems. The way a family portrays itself on social media or at church or at a sporting event, and if they have some prestigious law practice or dental practice or whatever else, We just can't take that that is really what is going. I'm not saying every family that's like that is like the Murdoch's, of course. But we should not take these things for granted. We should not say, man, I wish I had, I wish my family was like theirs. I wish I was like him. I wish I was like her. Because up until it seems like that boating accident, the Murdoch's were the kings and queens of the county to use a Seinfeld term. 
And then it all came crashing down very quickly. And you find out they were probably some of the biggest freaks in the county. And certainly this guy was one of the worst guys in that state. It's so easy to get caught up in the, you know, in the fame and fortune of others and everything. You just do not know what is going on. The, the way I look at the Murdoch's as a family, they were obviously people who were living on the edge. And all it took was an accident for this guy uh, to give in to all of the worst that humans have to offer. Um, it's very sad, but that is the history of humanity. So this is what I'm taking away from this. I mean, the murders and, and all the accident and everything, it's all very sad. But what I'm taking away from all of this is that if you're paying your bills and you have people who love you and you're living a moral life and you're following the law and everything else, you're probably doing better than 95% of the other people out there, even though it may not look like it, it may not seem like it. Keep, please keep that in mind. So let's go to this Friday's, uh, let's see this one. We just, Sheree uh, says, I'm sitting this one out. He's guilty. I enjoy things that have at least a little bit of mystery. Twinkle, Kathy and I have been following the Murdoch trial. It's terrible. Fairy, do you think that the mom was aware of her husband's behavior? Um, I'm, I, I'm going to guess so. Um, Fairy, I'm going to guess so. All right, let's move on to this Friday's episode. I've got about four minutes before the top of the hour, and we'll close this all up. Uh, strangely enough, we're going to Los Angeles for two weeks in a row. Uh, of course, last week, with the disappearance of Emily Richards, uh, we know that she and Bruce got married in L.A. County. Who knows what happened after that until Bruce popped up in 1975. But we are going to Bo the disappearance of Bo Mann but much more recently, November 30th of 2021. So this is a disappearance that is only a, a year and two and a half months old. And this is the first Unfound Now episode that is becoming a regular podcast episode. You know, Unfound Now, the regular series. Of course, the newest episode got put to the, out to the public a week ago. This is a series that I do have been doing since the summer of 2020. It gives me an opportunity to talk about newer disappearances. Well, I talked about, I covered Bo's disappearance at the end of January of 2022. At that point, his disappearance was only a couple months old. Well, now um, I was able to reach out to his mother, Amy, and she is the guest. And we did an interview that is over two hours long. And this disappearance is way more complicated <laughs> than, than what uh, you, will, you would have seen, than what you saw in the 
uh, Unfound Now episode from a year ago. Safe to say. A lot of... um, I have a recording that I'm going to be able to play for you during the episode. Um, Some pictures and other things, all of that which will be out, uh, shown to you, the public, that will eventually be on Unfound's website. But Bo went out that day, November 30th. He took a couple Lyft rides. He took a couple Uber rides. He got picked up in the um, kind of the studio city uh, Studio City area by a an Uber driver whose name is known. Uh, Bo had this guy stop at a 7-Eleven. Bo bought a few things. And then what's interesting is that Bo originally in the Uber app put in that he was going to be headed home. But for some reason, he changed the address to 1338 Barclay Street. And that is seemingly where he got dropped off at a roughly 2.35 p.m. on November 30th. Eight minutes later, somebody was trying to hack into his banking accounts. And Bo was never seen again. And that's only just where the disappearance starts. So I'm calling this disappearance off the grid uh, because another part of this is that Bo was a guy who started an app that was called SoberGrid that was used to, and you can find it in the Google store and elsewhere. He started it. He created it, trying to bring people who were trying to get sober again, trying to bring them all together to support each other. He called it SoberGrid, but it's still being run and it's being run by a uh, a person, technically, I guess, Bo's ex-boyfriend who lives in Michigan. So Bo Man disappeared from technically the Santa Monica area of L.A. on November 30th, 2021. His mother, Amy Man, is the guest. The, this, uh, the episode is called Off the Grid. A lot of media stuff, like I said, recordings, pictures, other things. Going to be doing a map video. Got to do a map video for this disappearance. And that will be this Friday. It's going to be a long episode, easily over two and a half hours. So just prepare yourselves right now. Uh, Rockford, I'm with you, Sheree. Once the mystery is over, so is my interest. I know. Okay. So that's all I have uh, for tonight uh, for this live show. And by the way, one more thing I wanted to also take tell all of you. I meant to tell you last week. I'm taking singing lessons. It's one of the things... I'm doing here at home. I'm taking an online course for singing. I want to increase my singing range. Uh, For once, I want to be able to sing a lot of the music that I listen to. Of course, those singers, they have great ranges. Bruce Dickinson, Joe Elliott, uh, Rob Helford from Judas Priest. I want to see if I can get to the point where I can hit the notes that they can. So I'm taking a very serious online singing course and I'll let you know uh, how it goes. Maybe I'll even sing for you sometime down the road. That's all I have. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Thank you for giving Unfound some of your time on this. Uh, what was a, is a beautiful Monday night here in Clearwater Beach, Florida. And you will hear and see me on Friday. Charles, thank you for tuning in every week. It really means a lot to me. Thank you. And thank you for all the support, everyone. Uh, Thank you so much.